not even smart. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to You're, You're Not, not even, even Smart. smart. <laughs> I'm Amanda. And I'm Kate. And today it's my turn to talk. It's always my turn to talk, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> today it's more accepted. So um, you're going to hear me turning pages because I made a ton of notes. So for those of you who listened to last week's episode, um, we took a trip to Dallas recently and I wanted to do this topic since we like got there. When, actually beforehand, we were looking at things to do to plan our friend's birthday weekend. And one of the things that kept coming up on things to do in Dallas was the State Fair of Texas. Yeah. Which, of course, is not open right now because it opens in September. Okay. But I kind of started, like, looking into it. And I have decided I will never be going to the I've State Fair of Texas. I've never even heard of it. I know there's a big one in Houston. So you're getting ahead of yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... I'm going to just tell you my sources right now for what I like looked at because there's a few of them and the person I want to read last because this one, mm, not that one. So the first one I have is obviously just Wikipedia, which is sourced on its own. Um, and the main one that I use for most of this information is from dmagazine.com and it was written by Peter Simek in 2019. And he did a really good job on being, like, very thorough in this. So I'm kind of just going to summarize a lot of it. And there are some things that I absolutely just, like, um, take. So one of the very first things is that, yes, it did actually start in Houston. The State Fair of Texas was started in Houston in 1870 to 1871. So just for, like, a year. But now Um, it's just the Houston Fair? It's not the State Fair? No. So the State Fair is in Dallas. Okay. So, um, sorry, it, it moved but was still in Dallas in 1872. So 1870 to 1871, it was in one location in Houston. And then they moved it until 1878. And uh, this actually all was started by the Mechanical and Bloodstock Association, which was just basically like a blood drive like organization. Okay. Bloodstock. That started it. Yeah, that's what it was called. <laughs> Um, But in 1878, they declared bankruptcy and nobody, like, picked it up. So um, it was picked up again in 1886 from a, like, private corporation, businessmen, whatever, in that area in Dallas that wanted to do it. But, like, multiple different ones did it in two locations. They were both, like, I'm going to do it. There's and just lots of fairs. Yeah. They did two, like, big ones. And um, it ended up being, like, very financial hardship kind of thing on them um, because they weren't paying the expenses they were supposed to be paying. <laughs> um, so, anyway, they ended up combining them for a bit, and they went with the location they're in now which I believe is Fair Park is what it's called, but it used to be a, like, cotton field okay. there. So that's that's where it stands, like, today. So they had – it was on and off. There were eight years that it hasn't happened, eight years from the beginning in 1870 to, like, now, that okay. it has not happened, and it was for a couple years in um, World War One and World War Two, and a couple years during COVID. Yeah, so fair enough. So there were – eight years total that it like had not happened so anyway there's like a whole timeline of these things and I'm absolutely not going to go in order because there's a lot of like big things I want to touch base on but it was pretty cool um so there was one of the big things there 
well, that's probably getting ahead of myself. Let's back up. So when it was introduced in the early 1800s or the late 1800s, they had a lot of different like fair, like now we have rides and food and whatever. Yeah. Their big like show-stopping things were um, reenactments of the Battle of Gettysburg yeah, and Custer's Last Stand and a machine that killed fish with electrocution. And a 15-pound yam, Buffalo Bill was there, Annie Oakley, stuff like that. Yeah. That was the fair at the time. Um, so in, like, 1904, they had this financial crisis, which was – I read from, like, multiple different articles where, like, Peter Simek called it a financial situation. And then in another article, it said that at one time there was a horse race track there – and there was gambling that was happening, and that was one of the big things that was, like, funneling the money for this place. But then it got banned in, like, Texas. Yeah. Horse racing was no longer legal, Ugh. and so they lost their financing, basically, for it. Okay. Um, so it was sold to the city of Dallas um, with, like, the agreement that it would open for this fair. And I think at the time it was, like, 17 days or something long. Um, so you hear me flip my page. So let's go to... In 1889, they ended up having a colored people's day during the fair. Dallas was still, like, very much segregated and very much not in a good spot for that. Yeah. Um, and they did it one that one year, and it was one day out of the entire fair that they did that. Um, and it was going on for almost 30 years until 1910 when they stopped having it. And they were not allowing people of color in. Okay. So yeah. that happened. Texas. Um, back in the 1900s, this is kind of where I go in order with a little bit of this. Um, in the 1900s, like, there was a bunch of, like, mishaps that happened. Obviously, it was, like, the early 1900s. Like, there were not rules on a fair. Yeah. Um, it was a grandstand had, like, caught on fire by fireworks and collapsed. A fire burned the main exhibit down to the ground. Um in 1909, William Howard Taft went and, like, spoke. Uh, Woodrow Wilson went and spoke. They built a music hall there, made it just bigger and better every time. Um, and then in the 1900s, they started talking about wanting to have, like, a Texas Centennial, which was funny to me because Dallas was not a part of Texas at the time. Really? Like the, yeah. So it wasn't... I don't know anything about, like, Texas state history. Let me tell you. I grew up here and went to public school, and yeah. neither do I. Um, <laughs> well, you know how, like, you always do, like, a... I think it's, like, fourth grade is, like, your state's your history. State, yeah. So, like, I just got that, like, wherever I was in fourth grade or third grade or whatever she it is. She blocked it out for trauma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I Like, I think I lived in Idaho, so that's why I know, like, the Idaho state fish. Like, mm -hmm. some bullshit about that. I don't know shit about Texas. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, honestly. Um... Yeah, but no, te Dallas was not a part of Texas when it became Texas. Really? Apparently, according to some article um, Wikipedia has sourced. Um, but yeah, so it was really interesting. But they beat out like San Antonio and Houston because they offered $7.8 million to the organizing committee to make it bigger and better. So they constructed, you know, Art Deco buildings and murals and statues which all ended up being part of Roosevelt's New Deal, like, work program. Okay. Which, if you don't know what that is, that is um, they took unemployed people and allowed them to work for, like, government-financed programs so that they could 
earn money, get a job, flourish the economy, yeah. and, you know, be paid for it, um, which was pretty cool. So that happened in the 1900s, them planning for that, which led to the Centennials time frame, which was 1936. So that was the first time African-Americans were allowed back into the new improvement. So they stopped letting them in in 1910, and they let them back in for the centennial time for one day, you know, the one day during the fair that they were allowed to. And they had part of, like, the new construction improvements that were done gave us what was called, and it was, you know, in capital letters, so this was the name of it, but it was the Hall of Negro Life, and it was an exhibit recognizing people of color and their contribution to American history and culture – and that was the first one that was ever done by any fair at that point. In Texas. A- any. Yeah. Fair. You would think it'd be right. like somewhere in the north. Right. In <laughs> Texas. However, I feel like it, it was very. It didn't last long, did it? It was very gimmicky. And no, it did not last long. It was long. token. So, yes. Yeah. It felt very token in what I was reading. It yeah. was like, oh my God, they did. Ev- I felt like disappointed in my state in every like paragraph I was reading. So yeah. like it would be like, oh my God, we did this really great thing. And then I read the next sentence. Yeah. So, um. It was dedicated on Juneteenth. About 400,000 people visited that specific exhibit, and 60% of those people were white people, which I was like, wow, like this is super interesting. Every person ended up getting a copy of W.E.B. Du Bois' book, What the Negro Has Done for the United States and Texas. So like built the whole thing. Yeah, for um. real. Um, and then when the this is like I read all of that and I was like, wow, that's really incredible and very progressive for the state of Texas. And then like the next line was when the exhibit was over, uh, the Negro Hall of Fame was the first building destroyed. Of course. So like literally it was up for one year and then they were like, nah. Um, so then it shut down for a little bit in World War Two, and it opened back up in 1949. And then we're going back into kind of like a little timeline information about it. Um, Elvis performed there in 1950. In 1952 was the first chili cook-off. And then a, I don't know if you've, have you heard of Big Tex? No. So in Dallas at the World's Fair, there's this huge like statue looking, animatronic looking thing. But it's like massive. I can't even explain to you how big this thing is. Actually, I should look that Oh, okay. Yes, I do. You do? know what that is. But I... I thought it was just, like, advertising for something. No. So, Big Tex used to be um, – he's 55 feet tall. Yeah. Massive. That yeah. is 11 of me. Big dude, giant <laughs> hat, like, one arm up yeah. like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, he was a um, stuffed Santa at one point on top of a department store that they moved over there they and just repurposed. threw a cowboy hat on top of him and were like, that's him. Um, so, that was Big Tex. Um, that was done in 1952. In 1956, which I thought this was interesting, the first commercially operated monorail was built there. Okay. It was the first one in the United States. And I was like, that's, again, how very weirdly progressive. Why don't we have better things in Texas then? (laughs) For us starting, like, good infrastructure and then having none of it, like, no good transportation. (laughs) Look at our electrical grid. (laughs) Yeah. So in 1964, let me make sure I didn't miss anything back here. I sure did miss something. Um, yes. So let me backtrack for a second um, because we were talking about how, you know, they did not allow people of color back in until 1936. I totally left out, which this was a huge point in my thing, and I want to talk about it a lot, which is why I think I skipped it because I was like, this is going to be Coming a back to that. big, big plot point here. Um, so like all these interesting, cool, whatever – I'd say cool, half cool things happened. 
1923, so during the time that they were not allowing people of color in the fair at all, um, even without this specific day that they had dedicated to them, they actually had a KKK day. Of course they did. Of course. Yeah. Naturally. Um, it attracted 160,000 clan members. Yeah. And had a record of 250,000 new members. I'm not surprised. Isn't that insane? It's so um, disgusting. Yeah. So in 1964, though, the Beatles performed at their, like, little coliseum because they had that music hall now. Yeah. Um, and that was done the night before, like, opening day of it, which is, su again, super cool. And um, see, this is where I got out of order. In 1955, a teenager who was there, like, performing in, like, a marching band or something with her high school fell from the Ferris wheel and died. Jesus. Um, and that was the same year that Juanita Kraft, who was the leader of the NAACP Youth Council, had a picket line and a protest against a day that they had then added back in. Because, of course, after 1936, they added in that one day again. Yeah. Um, and referred to it as Negro Appreciation Day. And her whole thing was like she wanted to drop like their the N-word from it and allow just them in all the time. Because, yeah. duh, humans. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was dropped two years later. They did drop the word. But it was not desegregated until 1961 when it was there was a legal end to segregation. Yeah, but so it like, was it really like? Yeah, of course, yeah, not really. You're still not gonna go there and feel safe, right? So that didn't happen until 1961, mm -hmm. which like, goodness. Um, in 1966, the fair. This is where I was like, let me get back to this. I saved a quote, one that Peter Simak had quoted in his um, his article, and. I felt like I was like, I got to read this whole thing because it was just wild, honestly. So there was a point in 1966 where they wanted to purchase a bunch of land for um, parking lots and stuff and, and expand and everything. And um, a leader, Peter Johnson, who was the civil rights leader over there at the time, organized the homeowners to block the Cotton Bowl parade which I'm sure you don't know what the Cotton Bowl nope, is. never heard um, of it. So, again, because it was on a cotton field, there is a football-like stadium or an arena kind of thing there, which is where Oklahoma and UT ended up moving their games to way back in the day, but it is called the Cotton Bowl. Okay. So they have a parade that leads up to it, and um, where is it? Okay. So they blocked the whole thing off until the mayor would meet with them, and they ended up, like, because they blocked it off and then they went and hid in like a church basement or something. Um, and they were getting like bomb threats and death threats yeah, and course. stuff. Um, and then later that evening, the mayor did contact them because they wanted to buy their homes for like well under market value of and course. everything. And so this, like these quotes say um, that the park had a report that said that the fair park created intense emotional discomfort in middle class white residents of Dallas. And concluded that the solution for all of these conflicts, at least in terms of Fair Park's location, is simple. All that is required is to eliminate the problem from sight. If we, if the poor Negroes in their shacks cannot be seen, all the guilt feeling relieved above will disappear or at least be removed from primary consideration. <laughs> so they were like, if we get rid of these people's houses and you can't see the problem that's like yeah. making them uncomfortable. Out of sight, out of mind. And like, no. Um, 
absolutely not. So I don't actually know what came of that because it does say that like he did end up talking to them. So it does say that they ended up meeting with the mayor later that night and negotiating some stuff. I'm not sure what the negotiation actually was. Um, one of the community leaders the next day um, did ride with the mayor in the parade. And mm-hmm. it wasn't enough, obviously, to stop, like, the Dallas fair activists, the people who were, like, pro-fair. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the, the guy, his name was Lipscomb, Al Lipscomb, um, was the one of the community leaders. He through the 70s, was leading anti-apartheid protest and helped push the fair to end its annual South Africa Day, which celebrated that country's apartheid regime. So, you know, a lot of good from people of color having to fight for things they should not have had to fight for. Yeah, what the fuck? And a lot of resistance from Texas. So I went through, right before we recorded this, and I was like, hold on, I got to do one more thing. It was really, when I looked up, like, the World's Fair and stuff and was trying to get, like, information on it, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any, like, interesting things that happen there. Yeah. And that's how it led me to this. Because when you look up the history of the Texas State Fair or whatever, um, the first 15, like, websites that come up, six of them mention the um, issues with segregation and the things that happen. Six of them. Eight of them don't mention it at all. Like just completely skip that. They talk about big text. They talk about whitewash it all. The Beatles being there. They talk about almost everything I talked about. Yeah. Except for that. Um, and one of them kind of does, but it, it it touches on like people of color. But it only talks about the celebratory things. It talked about yeah. the hall. Look how great this is. It talked about having an appreciation day yeah. and doing this on Juneteenth and stuff. That is all it talked about. And yeah. I thought that was so interesting. It was completely whitewashed. That was the first page of Google. If you Google the history of the Texas State Fair, only six of them actually touch on the issues. Yeah, that happen. Like, of course. Not only. They talk about other things and they like have timelines and stuff of all of these things that I kind of like picked up on. But only six of them talk about the history of the, the actual issue. history. Yes. Sounds well, like American school system currently. Well, still, I mean, I call Ugh. this actual history, but even so much of this was probably washed out. I'm sure yeah. there it's were still countless, probably not the whole story. Yeah, there were countless protests for almost 30 years yeah. because there was only one day celebrating them. Yeah. And, uh, or not even celebrating them because that's not what they were even fighting for. They were just fighting for the opportunity to be included. Just to go. Yeah. And so, um, but even what we know on that, I'm sure most of what is available to me or would have been available had I asked those questions anywhere would still be a whitewashed, watered-down Absolutely. Version. So... Just that to me was like super weird. Um, one of them though, one of the six was specifically an article talking about Juanita Kraft and her being the NAACP youth council leader. Um, and it was very much just touching base on her, that specific protest and the picket line that what was formed did. from that. So it wasn't necessarily about the fair itself. But if you look up the history, that is one of the articles that come up. So I guess technically it's like, Five of them were absolute yeses, and two of them were kind of. Yeah. Um, and the two of the ones that were a big no 
were articles titled like 10 things you didn't know about the fair. And I'm yeah, like, you know course. what? You know what we don't know? Yeah. One of them was five things you didn't know about the fair. And I was like, neither one of those had that in there. And I'm like, that is absolutely something I did not know about the fair. Um, so that was very interesting. Um, and I just wanted to look it up because I was like, you know, we could have gone there, like whatever. Um, everybody was saying, you know, it's a great thing in Dallas to go do. It happens at the end of September. It's 24 days and whatnot. Yeah. And so like I wrote down on here, I put Wikipedia, um, just in Dallas. We were, because we were just there. Um, when you look up TikTok on like the best things to do, that's one of the things. And I put the date and then I was like, oh, I'm going to look up the history of the fair. So like I put yeah. like cute things. I was like, oh, I'm going to say the date and say stuff like that. And then I looked up the history and I was like, oh, I'm going to need four pages of yeah. notes on this because this was insane. Um, yeah. And I just thought it was like really crazy that there's so much deep rooted like hatred in that thing that's supposed to be fun for everyone. And yeah. I'm like, for that reason, I'm out. Like I have no interest in going to something like that when it's so rooted in yeah absolutely like racism but like we're in texas so the whole thing is the whole rooted state in racism. is rooted in racism absolutely <laughs> the whole state and i mean i say that too i like it you know we've talked about some of the people i work with and everything and there's a group of guys who are i just absolutely love at my work oh pause on that we're gonna do a quick little shout out caitlin got a new job that she's about to start i sure did speaking of work um, so we've kind of touched on the fact that I work for the government. I don't want to yeah. say anything more than that. Yeah. Um, but Caitlin now got a job in my office yeah. and I'm so excited. I have like a real job. I know. <laughs> big girl job. Um, but yeah, some of the guys I talk to, they're very open-minded where I have said some things and then they're like, oh yeah, I guess I get what you're saying, but like, I don't understand. And when they give me that opening, I'm like, let me explain really quick. And then Let's they're talk like, about it. yeah. So like the other day I was talking about how, um, one of the terms, so I was doing real estate before. And one of the things that I liked that my brokerage did is we have stopped saying uh, master bedroom and started saying primary bedroom because yeah. there is rooted racism in that term. And I was like, that is a really great thing to know that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that is another term that was rooted in racism is grandfathered. Mm -hmm. It's like being a grandfather, um, like clause in a, in a contract or something. Or So I was explaining that to somebody I worked with where I was like, um, yeah, like my mom's phone plan, she paid for the old one or something. And, and I guess now they have all these new ones, but because she had it before, she was able to keep it. So I'm doing like a long-term version of like yeah. that term. And he said, oh, so she was like grandfather. And I went, yeah, I actually don't like to use that term. And he was like, why? And so I explained the history behind it. And I said, it's actually like a term that was created for a very racist purpose. Yeah. And he was like, what? I'd, I mean, I'd have to look that up. And I was like, oh, let me tell you about it. Yeah. And I already it, looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is very much that um, when... People of color were given the right to vote. Um, they made a clause that only like literate people could vote, which really canceled out a lot of people Obviously of color. Obviously, so many. Yeah, and um, the problem with that was it also made it difficult for a lot of white men to vote. Yeah, because they also were not reading. They were illiterate. Yeah, <laughs> and so they came up with this term that you could be grandfathered if your parents or grandparents were allowed to vote. 
you were also allowed to vote. You were grandfathered in. And so yeah. it was just a, so obviously, another white people's around. grandpas yes. were allowed to vote. It <laughs> was a way to work around um, not allowing people of color to vote. And that's, that's that rooted racism in there. And so I explained that to him and he was like, I didn't know that. And I was like, yeah, it's like interesting. And, and also like, you know, I said, I need to learn a new term for it or just continue saying it the way I'm saying it. And, um, I was like, because it's not a difficult thing to do. It's not a difficult thing to say. I should not use that word. It's not appropriate and just not. I was like, it's really not that hard. And he was like, yeah, you're right. It's not hard. You're right. And I was like, nice, thanks. Like, I'm so glad you're open-minded and they're wonderful and I love them. And I love that they're willing to learn. Um, But yeah, we were just in Dallas and looking things up. And I remember being like, I wish we could go to the fair. I wish the fair was open. And now I have zero interest in attending that fair. I mean, I didn't have interest because I didn't know it existed. But... (laughs) Well, that's the Ferris wheel. We went and had dinner. Yeah, we saw it. But like also, so yeah, same, 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 but different. Um... How many of the things do you think we did do were also had the same history? Because everything's old and has a history. And if it's in Texas, it has a history like that. And so let's see. We did uh, just for funsies. um, Let's talk about our weekend in Dallas. Um, We went on Friday. And I mean, we got there pretty late. We decided to go just to target and yeah, get we microwaveable dinners. <laughs> and um, the next day, what did we do? We ha- Oh, we went to Meow Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't been to Meow Wolf. Go. Any of the locations are probably equally as awesome. Um, I know I've like, I've heard bad reviews about this one or that one, but there's, there's no way it's got to be any less cool if they're doing the same concept all across the country. Yeah. It was incredible. I can't wait to go back. I already told my kid about it. I already told my husband we're going. Mal Wolf was awesome. Yeah, I know. My mom saw the pictures, and we're taking a trip to Vegas in a couple of weeks. And she was like, they have one in Vegas. Yeah. Actually, I was showing some of the guys at work, like, some of our pictures and telling them about it because I was like, oh, my gosh, if y'all go up to – because it's not actually in Dallas. It's in Grapevine. But I was like, if you go to Grapevine, (laughs) you should absolutely go and do this. And one of the guys, I don't know if I was just not doing a great job explaining it because he said, oh, if you're going to Vegas, there's this really cool place there that you should go. And he goes, I don't know how to describe it, but it's kind of like a supermarket. And I looked at him and went, Omega Mart? And he went, yeah. And I said, that's Meow Wolf. That's That's it. That's the thing. That's their theme at that specific one. Um, So we did that. We were there for like five hours. It is pricey, but like, the, it really wasn't, though, for the amount of time exactly, we spent there. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, initial thought, I was like, oh, this is going to be expensive. But we were there for, like, five hours. Yeah, and we could have been there longer. Absolutely. It was super-duper fun. Um, definitely ask anybody who works there about the scavenger hunt. Yeah. I don't want to give away anything with that. And but it's like, probably different at every one. Yeah, it might be. Um, if they have them at every one. If you go yeah. to the Grapevine one, do that. But even everybody who worked there was like so happy to be there. They were, it was, it felt like a bunch of theater kids to me. Absolutely. It was so cute. Um, But it was just really cool. And it's definitely good for kids. It's definitely good for like date night. If you are looking, if you like to go to those little like selfie studios and take pictures, go here instead. This is that on crack. Yeah. It's It's amazing. It's amazing. So we did that for ages and then considered getting tattoos. 
um, but did not. And then had reservations for dinner, but replaced those with different reservations because we were able to get a reservation at the Reunion Tower at um, a restaurant called Crown Block, which is inside of the Reunion Tower, which is... And it's wild. It's that huge... I think it's like at 500 feet tall. Um, and yeah, it's, I don't even know how many stories, but like it was huge. Well, it, just it just reminded me of the, the Space Needle. Yeah. It's, so like every big city really has one yeah, of those. Yeah, something like um, that, like an observation deck or something yeah. like that. So this is a, the Reunion Tower is a 561-foot observation tower in Dallas. It is one of their most recognizable landmarks. And um, it looks like, you know, the on like New Year's Eve, the ball that drops. It looks like that. Yeah. It looks like the ball up in the sky and it's like lit up at night. And you That's can it. see, <laughs> you know, all of Dallas. Or yeah, whatever you can see everything. It. But we, you know, t to pay for like going to see it. Do you remember how much it was to like buy tickets and go? Just to go up and be on the observation deck was $50. Okay. Per person. If you're willing to pay that, don't. Go <laughs> make a reservation at Crown Go Block. to the restaurant. Go to the restaurant. You have the same views. We took pictures in front of the windows and walked yeah. around a bit and had dinner. And of course, dinner on top of that was expensive. The prices are available online, but it was a really cool experience and something like we probably it was so won't do. Fanciest there. restaurant I've ever so been to fancy. in my life. We put on dresses and heels. Yeah, there's a dress code at this restaurant, yeah, like for, a legitimate dress I code. I don't recommend bringing your children. I saw somebody no. walking in with children afterwards and I was like, it's not a child friendly like environment. Zero fun. You're not going to buy your kid a fucking $50 salad. No. Um, no. And that's the cheapest thing on the menu. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was it was really, really nice. And we, we did that. It has complimentary like valet parking if you're going to the restaurant too, yeah. which was cool. Um, so we did that and then went home and changed. And Caitlin took a nap. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> and then we went to a little place called The Rustic. Which is like, like a, a bar, outdoor music venue. Yeah, it had live music. We watched a really cool band called the, what was it, Mississippi? The Mississippi Bastard Project. Yes, and yes. they were great. They were awesome. They were very like New Orleans style, jazz, like funk, rock. They, they did, did a mashup of Public Enemy and Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, there's a video on my Instagram. Go see it. Yeah, they we, were so great. They were really great. And, and nobody else at the bar like really cared. Yeah. We were in the back just screaming for the this band. The loudest people. You can't go see live music and not yeah. have the energy for live music. It was so like, great. It was crazy. That might have been my favorite part. Well, Meow Wolf was great. Yeah. But that... Just, and we also, went, I had the best drink ever. Yeah. I loved the drink that I got. We will like... And it was nice too because like we have been doing... Um, you know, in our last podcast, we touched base on how we had played this game that really was like a bonding, chatting, storytelling experience and we really got to know each other really well. Um, but we kind of took a break from that and just got to be in the moment here at this place and I really appreciated that. Yeah. And, you know, we had like chips and, and queso and whatever and just watched the music and it was great. It was a really good time. And then um, went home and went to sleep because the next day we had brunch reservations yeah. at Dahlia's Bar and Bistro. That place was great. It was so great. The food was delicious. They had like a charcuterie board style waffle board though. Yeah. And it was amazing. That was incredible. It was just like, yeah, it was a whole charcuterie board, but just for waffles. There were like chocolate chip waffles and bananas and strawberries and Nutella and whipped cream and jam and syrup. 
It, it was incredible. It was And great. then we all got food on top of that, like regular brunch food. Because we're insane. <laughs> we should not have done that. Um, we had to try it. Yeah, we did have to try it. It was it was very good. It was very beautiful in there. Like, it was really a, a good vibe if you're looking for, like, an aesthetically pleasing, not too over-the-top like, yeah. place. Because it was nice, but, like... It wasn't stupid expensive. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. Um, and then... After that, we had a little time to kill, and so we went and got Starbucks because Dahlia's Bar and Bistro was great, but they are having an issue with their coffee supplier, and they did not have <laughs> they coffee. They explained it all to us. They yeah, don't have coffee. Spilt the coffee, um, <laughs> and it was a very sad moment that we did not get coffee that morning. Um, so we did get Starbucks, and we went to a what called themselves a thrift and boutique store. No, it was thrift and vintage. It, well, it was absurd. It was not thrift. It was the most expensive thrift store I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. And ever. Like, and the thing is, like, vintage stuff, yes. There was sure. a $350 Harley Davidson, like, vintage jacket, all leather. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. That's priced right. Absolutely. But then I, like, found stuff that was, like, on Shein and it was $58. And I was just like, what? Yeah. There was literally, so the, the dresses, it was, I liked the way they had things organized by yeah. decade. Mm -hmm. So the dress rack was organized by decade that started at the forties and went through the nineties. But very clearly things I remember in the nineties section of the dresses, there were Walmart dresses. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of the things, I know they did this on purpose and like get your money, but they cut the tags out of everything. Mm -hmm. So you can't be like looking for brands or looking for specific things, which is what a lot of people who thrift do, especially if you like flip stuff. Yep. But like, I know what those look like. I've shopped at Walmart my whole life mm -hmm. and they have the tag cut out and it's on their tag. It says it's like $60 and you're like, what the, f why? Yeah. Why would you do that? And who's buying that? Like, right. Are you making money at this store? I will <laughs> say it is. So it's called Dolly Pythons. Which is such a cool idea. Such like, a cool name. And I will say, I as much as I was like in full disagreement with the entire clothing side of things, the houseware side, I loved. Yeah. The other side of the store was really cool. It reminded me of, there's a place in Reno called Junkies. Mm -hmm. It was just like that. Yeah. It was very cool. But even still, like some of the shit was so ridiculously expensive yeah and then they had even like the records they had they just had it wasn't vintage records they just had a bunch of records from like a barnes and noble like there was a leon bridges album that came out in the last like two years yeah on amazon for like 20 bucks i looked it up they had it on sale for 40 well that's what i saw like <laughs> the nsync 25th edition whatever yeah album and it was like 30 dollars, but on amazon it was like 25 yeah. And I was like, why would I buy somebody's used album? When I can just get it new. Cheaper. Yeah, like, and it's not even an old. Sure, maybe something like rare or cool from the 70s. Yeah. I will pay $40. Yeah. But for something I can walk across the street to Barnes & Noble and buy. For cheaper. I'm going to do that. Yeah. It came out within there the last was, three years. I definitely made some like little video clips of the just the most like outlandish things that I found there, which I yeah. was like, these are hilarious. There was a whole bin and they were like five to six dollars for just some like denture, dental molds. Yeah. And I was like, like this is cement so dental weird. molds. Um, and there was some like just weird stuff. I found a little bag that had a Barbie style thing. I'm not sure if it was Barbie brand or like Mattel brand or whatever. 
but it was Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and Lucy Liu from Yeah, when all they... just in a bag. But they kind of looked like like off-brand Barbies. They yeah, were like they real were like Barbies, but they were nicer. Lo- like it looked like They them. weren't the dollar store ones, but they weren't Mattel. Yeah. And that so was... I think I'm sure they came out with like merch and that was yeah. something at the time you could buy. They were not wearing their outfits. I would have bought them if they had yeah. them on. Um, they had some random Barbie clothes on them. Um, there was some weird, like, walking stick thing that just had, like, the head of a baby doll paper mache on it. And I yeah. was like, this is insane. Um, and it was just very wild. But honestly, a lot of the things, yes, they were, like, weirdly priced. But then there were some things where I was like, oh, dope. That's only, like, $10. Yeah. And there were some really cool ashtrays there. Like, I don't smoke there were. cigarettes. I so, liked like, the Jack Daniel. It looked like a box of cigarettes that was open. Yeah. But it was like Jack Daniels and it was a ceramic ashtray. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so cute and like novelty. Yes. I thought that too. I was like, do I need to start collecting ashtrays yeah. and not use them? But there was one that was, it looked like a set of lungs that you were dropping the ashes yeah. into. And there was another one that was like a mouth, like lips. And yeah. then like the mouth was where you put your ashes. And I was like, these are super cool. Um, but yeah, so we did that and then made it a few minutes late to our custom candle making class that we did at Malibu Apothecary, <laughs> which was very cool. Um, I had a really good time with that. Um, we got to like pick our scents and do a little science, but like you had some time to kill because it was cooling your candle. Yeah. You had to literally make the candle. Yeah. So it needed to like cool off and set in the like container that you picked, which was cool. We made a couple of friends that yeah. were also there and, uh, we played Uno with them for a while um, they said that they had like a charcuterie board style thing. It was the tiniest charcuterie board yeah. I've ever seen in my life. It really was. It there was. was not enough there for the people that were there. But it also said like on the reservations that it was like BYOB and you can bring your own food in. Yes. But they would be, there would be a small charcuterie board. But I expected a lot more from them. Yeah. They had like right next to where they put the charcuterie board, like shelves that had like all the stuff that they could replenish it with. Yeah, but, but they never were, did. They never did. And there were two people working there. Um, and it was, it was, it was good. It was a great experience. We got a little souvenir, um, and our friend Jordan's going to kill me for saying that because I was like, I'm really excited about our little souvenir. But when we were at the Crown Block, ridiculously expensive restaurant, Jordan and I shared this like small, it was not small, a small seafood tower thing. Yeah. Um, and it had these like, I think they were scallop shells. Yeah. Um, that they used, they said we were getting salmon ceviche. Um, which I wish there was more of that because it was delicious, but it was just like four bites of it that were put on these scallop shells. Um, and when we ate them, Jordan was like, oh, we get this cute little souvenir. Yeah. And she wiped off. it on her dress. She wiped them off on her dress and like cleaned them up and like put them in her mouth to clean them and then shoved those seashells in her purse. So we were in the car. I was like, oh, I'm so excited that we finished off with that candle making class because now we get to take home a souvenir. And she said, how dare you? How dare what you? What do you mean? What do you mean? We got souvenirs. And she, I don't know why or how, but she had the seashells in the cup holder directly next to her. And she picked them up and shoved them in my face. And I was like, that is the funniest thing I've ever experienced. It was good. It was so good. Um, but yeah, we had a really good time. We got to Oh, and we stayed at this incredible Verbo. I it loved it. It was so cool. Like, I, I want to know what that place looked like before they, like, bought it and turned it into Verbos. Yeah. You know what I mean? I did not realize a lot of Dallas had those, like, brownstone-style houses. Yeah. 
because we did, we stayed in one. Um, it's a company called Mr. Nomad. It's a Mr. Nomad experience. You can look them up online and book directly through their site. Um, but they had a, like, their whole vibe is their properties are styled and modeled after specific cities. And this one was a Parisian Parisian? Parisian. I always do that. I yeah. say Parisian. It's a Parisian it was experience. Paris. Uh. <laughs> um, and it was very cool. It was decorated incredibly. It had a little courtyard. I mean, it was so beautiful. There was yeah. so much light. The windows were just my favorite thing in the, the entire beds world. The were so comfortable. Yeah. The, oh my gosh. I've already told my husband and I came back and we, I kind of gave him like the lowdown on everything we did, just yeah. like I did for you guys right now. Um, and I told him, um, Caitlin already looked up the brand of these sheets. Yes. And we will be buying a pair, but they were Martha Stewart's Egyptian cotton sheet set. And they were incredible. <laughs> Just, I mean, like life-changingly incredible. Like I have to buy them. Yeah. Not anytime soon. He told my husband that, um, so he's away right now. He's been gone for like a month. He'll be gone for like two more weeks. And every time he leaves for a good amount of time like that, I all those new sheets and new towels for when mm -hmm. he gets home. So it's just like luxurious and he gets to shower for like the first time in a month mm -hmm. and all of that. And I already am like, these are in my cart and do I want to buy those sheets they for are... when he gets home? Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yes. Um, they're amazing. If you've ever, I mean, cause like sheets, I feel like for me personally, it's like how I feel about toilet paper. Um, it has to be comfy. Like I'm not buying <laughs> the cheap one shit. ply toilet paper. No, no. The Costco and shit. I'm not just going to buy cheap sheets that I'm going to like get rid of in a month. I want nice comfy sheets. I spend, I don't spend eight hours. I should spend eight hours in my bed every single night. Um, I do not. And if I'm going to be in my bed for that long of time, I want to be comfortable. That's like, so important to me yeah um one time again because I know my mom listens to this I have to talk about this a uh, one time my mom accidentally bought like the cheapest fucking toilet paper in the world and we still bring it up all the time about that time she bought one ply toilet paper it was not one ply but we tell her it was it was so thin like it was practically a swimsuit cover-up it was awful and we and she bought like a lot of it yeah I don't know if she bought it or if it was free or whatever but we had a ton of it and of course like so you have to go through it yeah you have to go through it because same I would do the same thing but oh my god it was just the worst time ever with that <laughs> crappy toilet paper I felt like we were all using so much of it one to get rid of it and one to make it two ply you had yeah, to use like an you have entire to use roll, so much a whole roll that's I don't understand people who buy toilet cheap toilet paper because you just go through it twice as fast whereas if you just would have bought like more decent stuff like not even the best but even mid-grade it'll last the same amount of time <laughs> I know people have talked about this on TikTok um but I don't understand how they determine the size of toilet paper rolls yeah that's i've seen so many tiktoks about oh. that i think they're so funny they are funny because like, like double roll 64 12 rolls is actually 84 rolls yeah what what does that mean <laughs> they're just like picking numbers just math yeah math they're just girl math in the whole thing yeah. <laughs> they're like it's basically free because you're getting 100 rolls but you're buying 12 yeah but it's two ply and i'm like what a bargain <laughs> me i'm just like looking at them like yeah that seems good. Honestly, I justify it on the fact that, like, 
where my toilet roller roll holder is in my bathroom, there's a uh, like a little shelf behind the toilet in yeah. my like my kids' bathroom. And um, when you put toilet paper in there, I can't get too big of a roll, or else I can't like put it in between the like holder and yeah. that shelf. That's how I determine what toilet paper to buy because I'm obviously buying some like nice fluffy stuff to wipe my ass with, but it's gotta fit in that little like it's gotta fit gap. there. Yeah. <laughs> So if it's too much, if I'm getting 600 rolls, but it's actually like 12 rolls, you know, um, I'm not buying that one because it won't fit. That's <laughs> how I determine my toilet paper necessities. I just always buy the same thing. Always. I buy like, not in bulk, but pretty much in bulk. And by the time I need more toilet paper... You don't remember what I it was. I don't remember which one yeah. it was. I don't even remember what brand. I know growing up, my mom used Angel Soft, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think my grandma used Charmin. And so I'm like, I know those two brands are, like, nice. But that's just one of I buy H-E-B, which is, like, the same thing. Yeah. Um, if they have it, I'll get that one. But it also just depends, like, when I get there, like, how much money do I have? Do I have enough for six rolls? That is actually 18 rolls for $12. There's so many numbers when it comes yeah, to Yeah, no, don't Stress. even. Stress. But, yeah, that's... That was our Dallas trip. We did not go to the world's, the Texas State Fair, not the World's Fair, the Texas State Fair. Yeah, at first you said the world, like the Dallas World's Fair. Oh. And when we were talking Texas about it at first, State. I was like, was there ever a World's Fair in Dallas? No. Because I don't think there was. Oh, I don't think there was. <laughs> I, I can't definitively say no, but it is definitely called the, it's the Texas State Fair and it's located in Dallas. Okay. But there is also a state fair in Houston every year still. I'm sure there is, um, but it is not the Texas State Fair. It's just, they just call it that? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, the I just know that one time when we first moved to Texas, um, they were doing some big like promotional thing at the Houston Fair. Maybe it's just the Houston Fair. I don't know. But they bust a ton of soldiers to Houston to go to this fair because they wanted... It was like Military Appreciation Day or some shit. So they... Oh, was it the rodeo? Yeah, but there was a fair. Well, yeah, but it's the... That is the... Oh, is it a rodeo? It's the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Okay, yeah. that's it. Yeah. But they, they bust a ton of soldiers there. My husband got to go. He was like, yeah, the families are allowed to come if you want to. And I was like, that sounds terrible. I'm not getting on a bus with our two very small children and going to Houston to see a rodeo. Like, we can do that in my small, tiny hometown yeah, in Nevada. absolutely. Then... This man tells me, there's some band playing tonight that we all get to see for free, too, though. And I was like, well, what band? And he was like, well, I don't even know. Like, they didn't ring a bell. I didn't know who they were, so I didn't think you'd be interested. He gets home and tells me, it was some band called Brooks and Dunn. And I was <gasps> like, you piece of shit. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, hey, quick fun fact that um, our other friend whose birthday we celebrated, Sky, shout out, happy birthday, because it's just now your birthday month for the rest of um august um i don't even know if this one's gonna air in august it's not but no. we're recording it in august so happy, happy august. birthday um there is a houston county fair oh but it is not in houston it's in houston county it is located in caledonia minnesota good yeah that's just for you sky just for you sky um because any opportunity to bring up minnesota she sure will she does it she will and specifically at me we were in a bucky's in temple and she pointed out a woman wearing a shirt and was like look at her shirt and it was just a minnesota like state jersey type shirt like that's it and i was just like 
like a like a child. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Good job. But yeah. So anyway, Dallas, Texas State Fair, not Dallas, Texas State Fair. I'll get it one of these days. Um, well, maybe not. I have no intention of ever going. Also, being outside in Texas in September to August or to October does not sound like a vibe. It's not fun. It's I not. also didn't like Dallas that well. We had fun doing the things we did. It's not a city I ever like need to go back to. You know, we didn't even like go downtown or do no. anything down there. We Don't had our to. like pre-planned stuff that we were like, this is going to be fun for us specifically. Yeah. And that's what we based it on, which was a blast. It was like the most fun I've ever had with yeah. the three of you. And, um, like I do something like that again, but I'd like to try a different place to do it too. Yeah. I wasn't impressed by the city. It wasn't nice. It wasn't, I don't know. It just wasn't my vibe. You had Paris syndrome from Dallas. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck that place. (laughs) Um, it smells funny. It was way too fucking hot. So hot. And I think that had a lot to do with it too. Like anytime you're doing anything that may result in heat stroke, probably not a good time of year to do it. But even, even if it were December, I don't think Dallas would be like on the top of my list. I like on any list. Stayed like I liked the neighborhood we were in. We yeah, were it was up cute. A... But you can get a neighborhood like that in nicer cities. Yeah, in better cities. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. But no, I will not be going to the Texas State Fair in Dallas. In Dallas, I did it. Um, no, yeah. So deep rooted racism there, and I was just like reading about it, and I felt like. Every, again, this article was with D Magazine, and it was Peter Simek that wrote it. I highly recommend anybody read that if you want any more information on it. It was written in 2019, but it was very well detailed in a lot of the, well, it was very well detailed compared to the other stuff I tried to get information from. Um, So I I highly recommend that. Very good read. Um, And very interesting to learn the history about something that is so wildly celebrated and um, obviously whitewashed and not giving like accurate history on it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely something interesting that I don't think I'll be experiencing. Oh, one of the other things about that, um, the location of it, because although I don't go to the state fair itself, it does have, um, festivals and music and stuff and concerts and stuff that are put on there in the off season. Yeah. Well, they got to do something with those buildings. Well, they used to not. Um, it wasn't until relatively recently, I want to say around 2012, but that's really just a guesstimate based on all of the dates that I looked at and everything. Um, the city was realizing that it was losing a lot of money in there and they invested like $8 million into it, um, to be able to hold these festivals and, and they paid for a, like, kind of like a property management company, but it was for like music and events and stuff like that. Um, so that they could book bands and book like things and stuff in the off season of the the fair because why are you gonna have like a huge huge thing that is only available for 24 days out of the year? Yeah. Um. So they do utilize that now to have festivals and concerts and stuff. And although I've never been, you have or no, you guys didn't go there. Um. But our friend Jordan and her husband did go for a festival recently. My husband went to a concert there recently. Yeah. And um, so that's the same location. And they do put on a lot of good um, shows and everything in its, in its off season and utilize it for that purpose because they still need to be bringing in Paying money the bills. for it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, it is now owned by the city of Dallas, which took it over um, still early on. So it was, that was one of the things too. And it was privately owned and it was doing all that crap with segregation and stuff. It was not okay with me by any means, but like 
a little more understandable that like some wealthy white businessmen were doing it. And then it got owned by the city of Dallas itself in like 1904 Who are or some wealthy shit like white that. And, huh? Who are also well, wealthy white right. businessmen. But like a whole city decided to continue doing that shit and pulling yeah. that shit. I was just like, well, wow. Well, time and place. Like, so I mean, was the entire self. It was, yeah, but it was still bad. Yeah. They were having protests for decades yeah. and still did nothing about it. And so that for me is like, that's enough to be like, you had your opportunity to make amends and to do that at the time and to be better and do better and you chose not to and you know so that's not something I feel like I want to support now especially knowing the history in it yeah, but I mean I didn't want to support it regardless because I don't like being outside yeah. but um definitely with all that um stuff so I was like very excited like reading about it to share a little bit of it because again yes I did learn about like Texas history in like fourth grade but it was all very whitewashed and yeah of course and know, for kids like for so kids. they make it all sweet and like the way we no, learned about shit. segregation and about you know the underground railroad and the civil rights movements and stuff was so the way i felt about that one article that talked about all of the wonderful yeah like, they made it very like this was a great thing that we did and i'm like y'all left out all the like brutal murders and beatings yeah. and, and all just the, the shit you horrible did. things that happened to lead us to where we are and made it seem like this one like Rosa Parks yeah. decided to sit where she wanted on a bus and that was it and yeah. that is not at all how it happened it's but that what is happened. what I was taught to to know about yeah um and so like you know I, and it, all it takes is a damn google search and so you know do better be better yeah <laughs> And yeah, but it was like just, I was really excited to like, oh, we'll talk about the history. I wonder if anything like crazy happened, like the grandstands burning down and yeah. um, big techs caught on fire several times. In several 2012, times. he had like a whole mechanical fire. There was a quote in there. Actually, I was like, this is funny, but like, I really did want to focus more on the like racism rooted in it. And, um, but it was really interesting. It caught on fire in like 2012, really bad. And there's a quote from, like, the dispatch call, I guess, that said something to the effect of, uh, well, we got a big old cowboy on fire over here. Like, that's literally, like, how the call went. Good. Um, yeah. I mean, they replaced him and everything. And one of the other things that I found interesting is the big text is, is animatronic at this point. And so his mouth opens and closes. Yeah. So when announcements his arm being, moves, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when he, when announcements and stuff are being made, it looks like it's coming from big text himself. Creepy. However, for some reason, the voice of big text, big text is unknown. It's a secret. I like that. I like that too. And I was like, I want to figure that out, but I don't want to go there. I'm just going to watch a YouTube clips and see if I can figure it out. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, that was my episode on the Texas State Fair located in Dallas um, and all, not even all, some of its problems that I could find with a Google search. Yeah, seriously. So the more you know, um, join us next week for whatever creepy topic I'm sure Caitlin is going to subject us to. I love your topics. <laughs> like mine, I, I tried to do what you did and go with, Oh, we just had an experience in this yeah. location, and you went a completely different direction, which I think is I still great. We talked about graveyards. We drove by multiple graveyards. That's true. <laughs> that is true. 
But I no, but usually mine are just so whatever I found on Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah, just whatever piques your interest though. Yeah. That's what I did. I have no interest ever. When I'm when I'm like, what am I gonna do a topic about? And I'm like, nothing I enjoy is cool yeah. at all. Same. Um, or new. Like I feel like everybody knows it. Yeah. And you Well, know, that's what we were talking about, I think the last episode probably, um, about H. H. Holmes and how I've I always want to talk about it and the Chicago World's Fair. But I have listened to so many podcast episodes yeah. about that subject where uh-huh. I'm like, what else new can I say? Nothing. Yeah. That's, I think that's my thing. And I also I, really want to talk about Bragg's apple cider vinegar and Katy Perry. And I know hello. you probably don't know this, but I have listened to so many podcast episodes about it that I'm like, what else can I say? Well, see, you got to tell me. And I'm <laughs> hoping that our listeners. Maybe my audience yeah, is different. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm hoping people who listen are learning something or you know to some effect because that's genuinely how I feel like empty thought or empty head no thoughts even worse all right and it's coming up yeah I'm like the the link between apple cider vinegar and Katy Perry I'm very excited for that (laughs) um but yeah I'm like every time I look up for a topic or start like doing any research I'm like I really I'm not even smart. I'm not interesting in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Nobody cares what I have to no say. No hobbies whatsoever. <laughs> I watched Grey's Anatomy for like six hours today. I That's introduced all I did. my children last night to Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off Good. Um, on Disney. So that's, that's what I do with my life. Um, but yeah, hope you learned something and enjoy our shitty topics. Our ridiculous talks. Because we're not even smart. And neither are you. <laughs> Not even smart.